Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me for this week's installment of The Canteen, segment where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we continued our series in the life of David called After God's Own Heart. Pastor Blake took us to 1 Samuel 18 as we looked at a series of relationships in David's life, looking at his heart as one that loves others. Let's listen in to Pastor Blake as he brings us this week's message. Hey, this morning I want to encourage you to open up God's Word to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18. You can Google that or um, you can open up your physical copy of the Bible, whatever works for you. And as you find that, uh, I just want to, to get us all on the same page about where we've been and where we're going. We're in a series called After God's Own Heart. Uh, it's a series uh, that is exploring the life of a man named David, who was the king of Israel. And uh, we've worked, we're two weeks in, this is week three, and we're really just coming to a point where we're going to finally get to, to learn who David is. Uh, a couple weeks ago, as the year started, we, uh, we visited the story of how David was anointed as the next king of Israel. Saul is currently the king. And we saw that, that God saw David's heart. He saw the good parts, the bad parts, and he called him anyway. He invited him in anyway, and he does that for us as well. Last week, uh, we visited the uh, well-known story of David and Goliath, and what we were able to see in that is that uh, God rescues hearts. He rescued David's heart, and he rescues ours and calls us to rally with him as he brings the victory, right? And so 1 Samuel 18 is this interesting chapter because we're going to, to begin to really get to know David. Um, we've kind of just, you know, we've just been introduced biographically, and now we're going to get to see David's heart. Because his anointing let us know that that's what God is looking at, the heart. And his battle against Goliath showed us that God had rescued his heart and given it confidence. And, and that led to people in the nation seeing him as their champion. But he wasn't yet their king, right? He's, he's in this weird in-between phase between, you know, everybody knows who David is. He's got some popularity, some momentum, but he's not yet the king. And it's often in those moments of tension or transition that our heart is really shown, right? It's when we really begin to see our heart. And that's what 1 Samuel chapter 18 uh, is going to do for us today. So, uh, as I think about uh, what we're going to see uh, this week, it brought me to uh, calluses. Calluses. Anybody got any calluses? Maybe you've got some on your hands, on your feet. Uh, random fact, uh, as I like to do some weird deep dives on sermon illustrations, did you know that calluses on feet are more common in women than men? Who knew? You know, it's just weird things. I, I saw some nasty pictures that I ended up choosing not to show. Uh, Calluses. Preston, our son, uh, got a guitar for Christmas. He's learning to play. Uh, let me tell you, he can't wait for some calluses to grow on his fingers. He is tired of his da daddy telling him to press the strings harder when his fingers hurt, right? Uh, calluses can be really good things. Uh, I think, too, about uh, athletes. If you're an athlete and you're, you're starting a new season, about day three of any team's conditioning, players can't wait for some calluses to grow on their feet, right? Some, that, that skin to thicken up uh, so that their feet aren't hurting as bad at the end of the day. 
Um, calluses can be good things and that, man, maybe as I say that, you think about a loved one's hands uh, that had calluses. And you can remember um, feeling the calluses on maybe your dad's hands or uh, some other parent or grandparent. Calluses can be really good things, but calluses on a heart are completely different. Calluses are meant for the skin, right? They're meant to, to toughen up and, and thicken up the skin to protect it, but calluses are not meant for muscles, and heart is a muscle. A calloused heart muscle is not good. It'll kill you. Now, of course, today I, I'm not going to press into the idea of physical calloused hearts, but rather spiritual hearts, spiritual hearts that are calloused. Uh, physical calluses are formed... Uh, this is some, some fun medical terminology. By continued friction, pressure, or other physical or chemical irritation, calluses form when mild but repeated injury causes the cells of the outermost layer of skin to become increasingly active. It gives rise to a localized increase in tissue, and the resulting hardened, thickened pad of dead skin cells at the surface layer of the skin serves to protect underlying tissues. There's a lot there that can kind of come and begin to, to trigger some things in us. Because you know what that does to our spiritual hearts when there's a callus forming? It creates some really wrong relationships in our lives. All of us have them. Right? Whether we're enduring a relationship that's not right right now in this moment, or maybe we're still reeling from relationships that went wrong previously in our life, we all have wrong relationships. We all have sins that we carry into relationships that make our relationships wrong. And these relationships, right, the, these wrong relationships cause our calloused hearts. A lot of times it's through betrayal. Maybe it's the fact that you've been friends with someone for a long time, and all of a sudden you're not invited to something that they do. You see it on social media, like a little, little friction there, a little tension, a little piece of your heart is, becomes callous towards that person. Maybe you learn that somebody's talked about you behind your back. And somebody is still talking about you behind your back, right? And there's some friction there. And, and all of a sudden, there's just a, a little bit of callus that is formed around your heart. Um, maybe it's a marriage. You marry someone. You think you know who they are. You think you know all the people that they've dated in the past. You think you know that their habits are good, that they're committed to you. And then you realize that there's been some betrayal at some point. Or maybe you... Maybe you learn that uh, they've been engaging in activity that they shouldn't. You feel this sense of betrayal, and then there's a calloused heart that's formed. Something comes between you, and the relationship is wrong. Sometimes a calloused heart is just repeated relational friction, a.k.a. there's just some people that get on your nerves. And it's, the, the relationship is wrong. You know it is. You, you, I mean, you, you say things like, bless their heart. Right? And, and you just, you want to, you know that you need to love those people differently, that things need to be different, but for some reason, there's this callous that keeps you from doing that. But it's not just a relationship with other people. Sometimes it's our relationship with the Lord, too. Sometimes our hearts are callous towards Jesus, because we've been hurt by the church. Sometimes our, our hearts are callous towards Jesus because we've seen someone close to us hurt by the church. How about this one? Sometimes our hearts are callous towards God, towards Jesus, because uh, there's been a point in our life where they, we've been pressured to perform spiritually, right? To do good things, to live the right way. Oh, that's actually called legalism, right? 
Maybe you grew up and your parents drilled good behavior into you so adamantly that you just be- eventually became calloused to God's grace. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to just do good things just to, to follow the rules. So I ask you to, to think as we get ready to open God's word this morning, is your heart calloused? If so, how? Is there a specific relationship that the Lord is calling to mind even as we begin to engage this? Maybe it's with another person. Maybe it's a wrong relationship with the Lord. When I first started preparing for this series, my first couple of scans of this chapter um, gave me the impression that 1 Samuel 18 was about honoring God's view of marriage. But closer reading has revealed that it's about a lot of wrong relationships and how they develop calloused hearts. And in the same moment, it's a picture of how the Lord can soften those calloused hearts. And so that's our hope this morning, is that as we open God's Word, the, the calluses that maybe the Spirit is already calling out in you this morning will be softened as we recognize Christ's love for us. All right, so let's, let's jump in. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I want to read, we're going to read this in chunks this morning. So the first nine verses. It says, when David had finished speaking with Saul, remember he's speaking with Saul right after he's killed Goliath, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. And then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three-stringed instruments. And as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. I wish I knew the tune to that song. Like, I mean, for some reason, it's like the Lucky Charms theme song for me. Uh, anyway, verse 8, sorry. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. The first thing that we see about a soft heart is that a soft heart loves friendship. We're actually going to spend Sunday, January 30th, two weeks from now, talking about the friendship of Jonathan and David and the gospel-centered uh, implications it has for our lives and, and for our society. Friendship is a huge issue right now, and I can't wait to do that. But, but for today, here's some important observations from this text, right? Uh, friendship is marked by two people loving each other as much as they love themselves. Their love for one another is, is great, as great as the love for self. Now, here's the thing. You don't get to say that about many people in life. Like, if I just ask you to begin to think, how many people in this world do I love as much as I love myself? Like, it's a short list. Proverbs 18.24 says this, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. 
And when we read that, right, that, like I think sometimes we're drawn to this idea of, man, I wish I had a friend who stayed closer than a brother. That becomes our automatic desire, right? And we miss what the first half of the proverb says. One with many friends may be harmed. You see, there's a ton of wisdom in this proverb because everything in our world oftentimes is geared towards having lots of friends. In business, we call it networking. On social media, we just have a friend list, right? We have followers, Everything is geared towards having lots of friends. But the value of friendship, as we see in this proverb, is not in how many you have, but in how much you'll give. Are you willing to give to love and say, stay closer than a brother? Society, you see, has watered down friendship by pushing relationships with the same gender to one of two extremes. One extreme, on one hand, pushes it to where friendship is just about sharing common space and common activities. Oh, yeah, we all like the cats. Oh, yeah, we all like the cards. Oh, yeah, we all go to church together. They're my friend. We went to high school together. They're my friend. On the other extreme, we push relationships of the same gender into a space where we share romantic love. And as people have pushed for these extremes, right, the category of true friendship has been erased from many people's realities. Very rarely, it seems, do we see a same-gender relationship where people love one another more than they love themselves. But this friendship love in its truest form is just that. It's this cycle of sacrifice. And we read in the text that Jonathan gives David his robe and all his military garb. And that represents all kinds of things for Jonathan. Right? Jonathan is, is Saul's oldest son. He's his military leader. He's the heir to the throne. And in this moment, Jonathan is symbolically giving all of that to David. Why would he do that? I mean, that's a gift that I'm not sure many of us could make. You're the heir to the throne. I'm just going to give it all to you, David. But I think Jonathan is able to do it because he understands that David loves him in just the same way. That there's this, this mutual willingness to sacrifice for one another, to love one another more than themselves. God has, has bound them together in friendship. And there was a confidence that came from the Lord that they had one another's back. This isn't a one-sided relationship. And so verse 3 then says that, that there was a covenant between the two. They recognized that God had bound them together. And so because of their recognition of that, they committed to one another to love one another as they love themselves. They recognized this friendship the Lord had given them, and they wanted to honor that by giving sacrificially to one another. They wanted to do friendship the right way. They didn't want their friendship to be a wrong relationship, but rather a right one. It was a sign of their soft heart a heart that, that the Lord had softened and, and prepared for this relationship. Cultivating these kind of loving friendships, right? It helps us soften our hearts. Like if you have a good friend, if you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a friend that's willing to do anything for you, to give up anything for you, it softens your heart to know that someone would love you in that way. And that makes sense to us, right? Like that, that all seems logical. Like, Blake, this is just basic stuff. But then the story changes because a soft heart is also a heart that loves enemies. Oh, well, hold on. That guy gets on my nerves. That guy's out to get me. I've got to watch my back. Pick it up with me in verse 10. The next day, right? So the next day after what? After David has come in, they sing the song, 
Saul's jealous. The next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the liar as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. And therefore Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. Saul told David, here's my oldest daughter, Merib. I'll give her to you as a wife if you will be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And then David responded, Who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? When it was time to give Saul's daughter Merib to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mahalathlite, as a wife. It's the biblical version. All right, first, God sent an evil spirit? Do what? God sent an evil spirit to Saul? I mean, we need to deal with this, right? James 1.13 says this, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But God sent an evil spirit? Say what? How do these things go together? I mean, ooh, we're in dangerous territory now. How do we reconcile these two? God doesn't tempt us. But he is a God of justice. And Saul had sinned, right? Like we've been following Saul's story. He had messed up. So God sends an evil spirit as a consequence. But that's not the end of the story, right? See, some people would want to end the story there. I'm like, how can you say God is good? He just sent an evil spirit. Yeah, keep reading the story. He also sends David to play music as an act of grace, as a way out, as an opportunity even for Saul's heart to turn back to God. And instead, in this moment, Saul makes a choice. He chooses to to keep going, to persist in his jealousy, and he tries to kill David. 1 Corinthians 10.13 makes sense of this. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. In this story, we see that verse in action, right? Let me bring this to our lives, right? There are times when there is unrecognized sin hanging out in our lives. Like, it is there. There are character flaws and bad morals and bad attitudes and whatever that are existing in us that we don't even realize are happening. Would we rather it remain in the shadows only to come out at the most inconvenient time? You've had this happen, right? Like you're, you're trying to uphold an image, and then all of a sudden the word comes out that you don't want to say. Or you're like, I'm not going to say this about this person. And then at the least, like, like you're, you're, ta- you're gossiping about it, and somebody hears who knows them. And you're like, oh, my gosh. When we have this unrecognized sin, it's like we, we want that to come out. Wouldn't we rather God expose the sin that's in us? I would certainly rather a God who knows what I can bear and who won't tempt me beyond what I can bear sin whatever he sees fit so that I can see clearly the sin I'm hoping to evict from my life. It's a great act of grace. Saul's problem was that when he saw the sin, he let it stay. So Saul, 
instead of choosing the way out, chose to become an enemy, an enemy of David and an enemy of God. He throws the spear with the intent to kill, not once, but twice. But it goes even further. When that didn't work, Merib, Saul's daughter, was the promised prize for defeating Goliath, right? This was, Merib was already promised to David because of what he'd done in killing Goliath. But now that David was a threat to Saul, Merib was a trap. Merib was the way to get David out on the field, to get him killed. There's no question, Saul was David's enemy. But David loved Saul. He loved his enemy unconditionally. He played music for the man that was trying to kill him. He not only didn't take Merib so as not to grab for power, but he still went to the battlefield. And when he went to the battlefield, which was Saul's ultimate goal in trying to kill him, he actually was successful. And that was good for Saul's reign as king. Time and time again, as we follow David's life for the next several weeks, we're going to see David's mercy and his compassion and his respect and his love for his enemy, for Saul. Now, a quick note here, just a fun thing. Not fun, just a reality. We act like David is this hero, and he's just able to smile everywhere all the time. Oh, Saul, you just tried to hit me with a spear. Let me move out of the way. I love you so much. Right? Like, that's, that's certainly not the case. He was able to forgive, but in the reality, the trauma that David experienced in Saul's presence, in these moments where Saul is treating him as an enemy, would be exposed in his interactions later in life. We're going to make some connections later on with, uh, with Nabal and how David interacts with Nabal and, and how maybe we saw that happening and what Saul had done to him. We're going to see that uh, in Uriah, right? As he sends him to the battlefield thinking that will take care of Uriah. And so when we say that David loved his enemy, it didn't come without a cost. The trauma that David experienced in these moments is very real. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of a terrible situation, he loved his enemy. It almost seems strange. Almost seems impossible. And it should. Because it's a picture of unconditional love. Said differently, it's a love without condition. There is nothing that you can do to make me stop loving you. It's a love that doesn't have to be reciprocated. Even if you don't give me anything back, I will love you. And this unconditional love is only possible when someone is able to recognize the forgiveness that they already have. Paul writes in Colossians 3.13, Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And so this soft heart, this, this heart that honors the Lord, it loves friends, right? It does that. It's, it's giving, it's sacrificial towards people that are friends that we love. But a soft heart also loves enemies, and our calloused hearts, right, we often struggle to do one at the same time, not to mention both, to love friends and enemies. In fact, it's impossible for us in our flesh to do. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. Because you see, Jesus loved you as a friend when you were an enemy. And he did it to make you his bride. There are no greater tools of God's enemy than sin and death. And we have sin in us that leads to death. We are enemies. While you and I were still sinners, though, while we were still acting like enemies, he loved us as a friend. 
And that, that may sound simple and cliche, but the more we let that resonate in us, that, that, man, what's it mean to love a friend? And what's it mean to love an enemy? And that while I was still acting like an enemy, Jesus loved me as a friend is transforming. Why would he do that? So that we might become the bride of Christ, the church. That we might become those he will finally save from eternal destruction when he comes again. Let's see how 1 Samuel ends and how the Lord paints a picture of that in David's life and through his relationships. Pick it back up with me in verse 20. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David. And when it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. I'll give her to him, Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, You can now be my son-in-law. Saul then ordered his servants, Speak to David in private and tell him, Look, the king is pleased with you, and all his servants love you. Therefore, you should become the king's son-in-law. Saul's servants reported these words directly to David, but he replied, Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? I'm a poor commoner. The servants reported back to Saul. These are the words David spoke. Then Saul replied, Well, say this to David. The king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hand of the Philistines. When the servants reported these, thing, these terms to David, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. Before the wedding day arrived, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins and presented them as a full payment to the king to become his son-in-law. And then Saul gave his daughter Michael to David as his wife. Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved him, and he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all Saul's officers. So his name became well known. This is just fascinating. I mean, reality TV would have been a hit with this story. I'm telling you. It's crazy. Saul takes a stab with daughter number two. Merib didn't work, but Michael, she loves him. This is good. That's a big plus. So he butters David up with some servants, and he's still hesitant. So Saul sets a dowry. A price to be paid for his daughter. Now, this was a common thing, uh, but it usually included something of monetary value. The money was intended to be a motivation for the man to not divorce his wife during the betrothal or the engagement, right? So it was like, hey, these people are going to get married, pay the dowry. In case you mess this up and break it off, the family can still provide for this young lady. Uh, But for Saul, right, money was no issue. He's the king. Taking care of Michael was not a concern. But David wanted things to be done the right way. He was striving for right relationships, knowing that that reflects the right relationship that God desires with his people. So Saul lays another trap, right? He wants a hundred Philistine foreskins and said, now you can't just pick these things up on the corner market. (laughs) Right? I mean, they're pretty tough to get. Guys usually make you kill them first. So Saul assumes that this is going to take care of David. 100 Philistine foreskins. He'll die in the process of paying the price for his bride. He will die in the process of paying the price for his bride. And instead, David brings him 200 
twice what he asked. Some of y'all are like, this is a weird story. (laughs) But in this weird story, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel too. You see, there's nothing that you or I can give to God to buy back our lives. Nothing. Our sin-filled lives can't produce anything good enough to pay for our sins. In fact, it would take a, a perfect, sinless sacrifice to buy us back from the enemy. Someone who is perfect would literally have to die to pay the price for us. It sounds outlandish. Saul was asking for something that seemed outlandish too. A hundred foreskins. And David delivered and then some. And Jesus did that too. You see, he didn't just forgive our sins when he died on the cross. That alone would have been enough. That alone would have been outlandish. He also died so that we might have eternal life, that we would live forever. He doubled the gift. While you and I were still an enemy, Jesus loved you like a friend so that you might become his bride. He paid the full price. And it's this kind of love that overcomes wrong relationships. It's that kind of love that is willing to give like you're giving to a friend while at the same time forgiving like you're forgiving an enemy. It's when you can learn to give sacrificially and to forgive as you've been forgiven that you begin to see wrong relationships be made right. It sounds counterintuitive, and it is because it's powered only by the gospel. That when we're in wrong relationships with someone, the answer is, is to give like we're giving to a friend and to forgive like we would forgive an enemy. But how does knowing this change our lives, right? How does knowing the qualities of a soft heart change the way that we relate to people? How does knowing that that Jesus loves us as a friend while we're still enemies change the way that we live our daily lives? Maybe you're thinking about that wrong relationship that the Spirit has kind of stirred up in you today, and you're like, Blake, I've got some really wrong relationships in my life, and my heart has got some big old calluses. How is the Lord going to soften my heart? How does he do this? Well, there's this repeated word in 1 Samuel 18 that I believe leads us to the answer. First, look at verse 5. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Then we jump to, to verse 30. Verse 30 says, every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers. So his name became well known. And you're like, what? successful? The word is successful? My heart becomes soft because of being successful? No, 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 no. This word in the Hebrew, it, it's, it's maybe, the heart of it, right, is that he behaved wisely. That success was behaving wisely. It was behaving as the Lord was leading. David was simply doing what God told him to do all along the way in all of these different relationships. In other words, his heart was soft towards God. It's, it gets unlocked in verses 12 through 15. So Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. Therefore Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops, and he continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him. That's how David's heart was soft. Okay, let's keep asking how, though, Blake. Like, how does the Lord being with you make your heart soft? 
How does it remove the calluses in my life? How does it make me soft towards the people that quite honestly I hate or that get on my nerves or that have hurt me in some way? How does the Lord being with me make me soft towards those people? I want to take us to a verse that you may have heard before. Psalm 37.4 Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Now this verse, for many people, has been like a name it and claim it, right? Well, if I just delight in the Lord, he's going to give me whatever I want, is the translation that we use. I'm going to get whatever I want. I want that new house. I want to move to that certain place. I want this new season of life. I want this new job. Well, if I just delight in the Lord... If I'll just go to church, if I'll just read my Bible, if I'll just do all the right things, I'm going to get whatever I want. That's how we interpret that, right? There's so much more that's going on here. And, and credit to Kurt Vernon, uh, pastor in Lexington, who preached some of these thoughts. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. That word delight, to take delight in the Lord, you know what it means? It means to be delicate, to be soft. Take delight in the Lord, to have a soft heart towards the Lord. To have a heart that's open to what God wants to do in our hearts. Like that takes some work, right? Like, like that's, that's one way that we join. As our hearts are softened to the Lord, and then this is where it gets really interesting. He will give you your heart's desires. And Kurt began to talk about this, this verb, give. And in the Hebrew, this verb give, like, it has a lot of different uses across the Old Testament. And one of them is to exchange to exchange. Take delight in the Lord and he will exchange you your heart's desires. He will literally take out of you the old desires that your heart has and put into you new desires. He will begin to change what it is that you want out of life and what it is that you want out of the relationships that you have. As our heart is soft towards the Lord, he actually gives us softer hearts. Man, this is really encouraging. I can, I can jump into that. If we would be open to what God wants to do in us, he will change us. He will make us different and make us new. And so while the pain of the world causes calluses to get thicker and thicker and to continue to protect us from what we really feel and what the Lord really wants for us, man, Jesus wants to be exchanging out those calloused hearts for new ones that are soft. That gets me excited. To think that the Lord can do something in me that I can't do for myself. That he can make me a different person. That he can soften my heart. So how do you and I practically join Jesus in this work of softening your hearts? If you haven't already, I want you to draw back into your mind that wrong relationship. Maybe it's from your past. Maybe it's in the present. Think about it right now. And I want to encourage you to ask two questions that we see modeled here in 1 Samuel 18. In that relationship, what will I give? And what will I forgive? What will I give? And what will I forgive? My marriage right now, that, and there, quite, quite frankly, there's just some, there's some tough stuff. There's some calluses that are growing. It's a little cold. What will I give? What will I forgive? 
I think the Lord might soften your heart as you think through the answers to those questions. My relationship with my boss, where things just seem to be getting tense, everybody works out work schedules or whatever. What can I give? And what can I forgive? My relationship with my parents, no matter how old I am. Things I resent about my childhood. What can I give to them? And what can I forgive? See, these are the things that are modeled to us in this passage. In the manner that Jonathan gave his position to David, what can we give to those that we are in wrong relationship with? In the manner that David forgave Saul's jealousy of him, what can we forgive to those that we're in wrong relationship with? And I believe that as we answer those questions about our wrong relationships, it's a soft heart that we're offering to the Lord. And as we offer that to him, he will exchange the calloused heart that's in us out for a soft one. As your heart becomes soft, you join Jesus in his work of loving enemies like friends. And let me tell you what, it's in those moments that the Lord really begins to change people's lives. And there's a love that's undescribable, that's unconditional, that, that just doesn't make sense. And all people can say is, he is faithful. That's the only answer I've got. As the band comes back up today as we respond to the gospel, I don't want to rule out the possibility that maybe the Lord is changing your heart today. Maybe he's helped you see for the first time that he loves you like a friend, even though you've been acting like an enemy. My, my invitation, my question for all of you today is, will you accept that Jesus paid a high price for your heart? Jesus paid a high price for your heart. Will you accept that? You see, the price for Michael was high, and David paid it. He more than paid it. Saul asked for 100, David brought 200. But the price for your heart, the price for your heart was higher. It is more than that. And Jesus paid it. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is accept that gift. Will you accept that Jesus paid a high price for your heart today? If you do, there's at least two appropriate responses. One is baptism. When we're baptized, it creates a marker in our lives and sends a message to others that Jesus paid the price for my heart. I know that. He paid the price. I am his, and I am bought with his blood. And if you've never made that decision, I want to encourage you to think about giving your life, accepting that Jesus paid a high price for your heart. The other response is communion. The irony is that it does the same thing. It creates a marker in your week. And it sends a message to others that Jesus paid the price for your heart. And it was a high price. It says that you are his and you are bought with his blood. Now here's the thing. We can all worship together today knowing this. That if Jesus would give his life to pay for your heart, there's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up. Coming after you. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't tear down coming after you. He is willing to pay the price. It's a high price. Will you accept it? Will you accept the gift that he's given to you? Will you accept his call on your life? Let's have a soft heart towards the Lord as we respond to him today. Let's pray together. Jesus, you loved us as friends even when we were enemies.
And the way that you continue to do that today is that when we come to you with a soft heart, you change our calloused hearts out for soft ones. You give us new desires. You give us a new ability to love you and to love others. It's almost impossible to understand or to fathom, except for we just keep hearing story after story after story where you've done it. Or we're sitting in bars, and all of a sudden we don't desire to be in the bar. Or we want all these things in life, and all of a sudden we don't want anything but you. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that good work in hearts today. If there's hearts here today that desire things that aren't you, or that, that, I pray that you would change them out. That you would give them new hearts. We thank you, Jesus, for paying the price. Help us to accept it today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.